Hey, welcome to the Rooted to Live podcast. I hope you're doing well this week. Uh, greetings from sunny Raleigh, North Carolina. It's been blazing hot here this week. 97 degrees and a little uncomfortable uh, for people that are big boned like me. Uh, this week so I've been thinking about comfort <laughs> and um, I wanted to share a psalm with you today, Psalm 91. And uh, we don't know really the setting of this psalm. Some believe that Moses wrote it because Psalm 90 is a prayer of Moses. We know that this is a psalm of trust like Psalm 23 is and Psalm 121. And psalms of trust create hope-filled worship um, and like renewal of life. Psalm 90 is a lament, like relaying feelings of alienation and abandonment. And Psalm 92 is one of thanksgiving and joy. So some theologians believe that these three, Psalm 90, 91, and 92, form like a set. So read in context, the lament of Psalm 90 leads to Psalm 91, a renewal of trust in God, even in trouble, and then to joy in Psalm 92. Uh, Psalms of trust actually do not dwell on the seeming contradiction between the suffering of the righteous and an all-powerful God. Instead, in the midst of uncertainty, trials, and suffering, psalms of trust urge the worshiper to say with the psalmist to God, uh, you are my refuge. Maybe you've heard these verses before. I'll just read the first verse, uh, first four verses to start. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty, and will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Really what we're seeing here in these first four verses is that God's character is our source of comfort. You'd think it's air conditioning, but it's not. It's God's character. The Lord's presence is a personal place of divine protection and comfort. If you can remember as a child, uh, what was the best hiding place you had growing up? I remember playing hide-and-go-seek with my brother. Um, We weren't really uh, like big kids. Uh, We were kind of made pretty small. I remember my brother hiding like under the sink in the bathroom, or he'd actually go like sometimes in the um, dryer. Um, I don't encourage that. I remember like public service announcements challenging kids not to hide in like dryers or refrigerators. Maybe that was G.I. Joe. I don't remember. Where was your best place? Maybe it was a place that no one could ever find you. I can remember just hiding toward the back of the closet behind things that were hanging and uh, man, just sitting there waiting to be found. When we look at the scriptures and we hear the phrase, he is my refuge, it's really an important biblical expression but one that's kind of lost its intensity on many people over the years. We see in Psalm 1 through 4, 91 verses 1 through 4, he is our shelter, our refuge. Shelter can mean like secret place or hiding place. But he is my refuge, that's kind of tough. So to uh, re-appreciate it, consider its opposite. What if your best chance uh, for safety was that you had to depend on your political alliances, like we see like in Isaiah chapter 30 or... What if you had to find for safety, you had to cry out to like your collection of idols like we see in Isaiah 57 or in your job? What if you had to trust in your family in all ways for being safe or your bank account? What do you think it is? Where do you think most people find their security, safety, rest, or comfort? 
the psalmist is calling the worshiper to find these things in the Lord and in his character. Even by the names used for God in these first four verses, isn't it true that the names and titles that we have in life can cause like a reaction or an emotion? If I just said the name Father, what does that do for you? Or Mother? What about the title of President? Or King? How about this designation? What does the word dentist do for you? Or Santa? See, in Psalm 91, we see several names for God, each of which, when understood, reveals more of his character. So what we see in verse 1, we see this the name of God being the Most High. It's the name first found in Genesis chapter 14. It means that he is higher than the kings of the earth and the false gods of the nations. He is the possessor of the heavens and the earth. It's really saying he is the God. This God is over all things. Another name found in verse 1, the Almighty. It's uh, the word Shaddai. Uh, it's meaning all-sufficient, great in grace, the one adequate for every situation to provide. It's the title of God used in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, when God called Abraham out of his old land to separate from it and to follow him. Abraham didn't know where he was going. He, he didn't know what he was going to do. He didn't know how God was going to provide, but God called him out as the Almighty God, the God who would provide for every need. We see a similar calling out of the believers in the New Testament to trust in this God. It it should bring comfort to know that God is able and can provide according to our needs. Another name we see this first four verses. In verse 2, we see the name Lord. In English, it's all all caps. Um, That's Yahweh or Jehovah. It's the covenant-making and keeping God who is faithful to his promises, the eternal, unchangeable I am, the one who was, is, and ever will be. Another name for God, relaying his character, is just the name God. In verse 2, Elohim is the word. Uh, it means uh, the, the powerful creator God, whose greatness and glory surpass anything we can imagine. So the psalmist calls the worshiper to dwell on God's character and by these names, uh, because God brings comfort. Psalm 121 verse 5 says, The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. It's the same idea of bringing comfort nourishment, nurture, safety, refuge. One of the things that we need to be honest about in life with ourselves and maybe with another person just confessing it and sharing it with another person is what we turn to for comfort and nurture. As a little one, we might use pacifiers or sucker thumb, but eventually you can turn to other things, just hand to mouth, um, finding that in food. Some people use that with um, how they treat their own bodies, um, I mean, to be a little bit more graphic, it's just how we conduct ourselves, maybe sexually, we might do that to try to find comfort or nurture. Um, it could be u- using people or using things in our lives to try to find encouragement. But really what we're supposed to do, what we're invited to do, is that we're to, we are to dwell or find comfort in the Lord, in His name and His character. In fact, He's really the only one that can come through for us anyway, in a sustaining, life-giving, and honorable way. In verses 3 and 4, let me read that again. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from deadly pestilence. First part of verse 4. And he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. 
In Matthew chapter 23 and in Luke 13, we read Jesus describing his longing for his people in the same way, like uh, chicks being gathered to hide under the wings of a mother hen. Psalm 57 says, I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until disaster is past. Psalm 63, because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. We see the wings metaphor for the Lord's protective care all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 11. It's sheltering under God's tenderness is the idea rejoicing in the comfort found in him. Look at the last part of verse 4. I'll share it with you. I mean, uh, his faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. His faithfulness will be your shield. And that means that God gives the ultimate armor we need in this life. Himself. He himself is the armor. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, we are told to put on the full armor of God. Maybe you've read that passage before or heard it preached. Including then the shield, which is called the shield of faith. Faith in what? Actually, uh, faith in whom? And that's God and his faithfulness. Again, that last part of verse 4, his faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. His faithfulness will be your rampart. What That means, uh, like in the New King James Version of the Bible, the word rampart is buckler. The Hebrew word means um, to go around, and, and that would describe a mound of earth around a fortress. So the Lord's character of faithfulness has you 360 degree covered. That means whatever gets to you in life is only by his sovereignty, actually not by his inability. It's with his permission. So remember, the psalmist is saying God's protection of his children is consequential upon taking refuge in God. You must dwell, rest, find refuge, safety, and comfort in him. Because if it's not in him, you and I are going to put it in something else. We're going to put our comfort, we're going to put our hope for nurture, rest, um, safety in something else or someone else. And guess what? It'll fail. No one or nothing's big enough than God. The next section, verses 5 through 13. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Then they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. So the first section we see that really God's character really leads us is really our source of comfort. What do we see here? Well, really it's that God's character is our source of courage. Do you know what the most common command in the Bible is? You probably do. It's do not be afraid or fear not. And why is it so common? Because we're so crazy and scared all the time. (laughs) Do not be afraid. This section emphasizes that we don't have to be afraid of what's happening in the world or in our world. What comes our way, darkness, disaster, war, sickness, harm, and death. Because the Lord watches over those who trust in Him. Verses 9-12, through which I just read, we find some like popular promises um, that harm won't come upon us that disaster won't come upon us that he'll guard us that he'll the lord will lift us up these are popular promises both jews and christians have placed these words in amulets to serve like as some kind of personal protection especially the statements around god will charge his angels to protect you Wrongly, some have amplified the promise of angelic protection found in verse 11 as the basis for making them beings of like veneration. But God's angels want worship to go to him, not them. 
We don't see God's angels at work on every page of scripture. It's actually a rare occurrence. So, however, I can only imagine actually how often we're protected at God's command. We probably don't even know how often that is. We're mostly unaware. And uh, we actually, um, we rarely see it. We don't see it with our own eyes, what's happening in the spiritual realm. Verses 11 and 12 may sound familiar with talking about that promise of for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone do you remember that verse have you heard those verses before recalling the account of christ's temptations in matthew chapter 4 verses 5 through 7 satan commands jesus to jump from the temple promising that the angels would come to his rescue and it's like satan is saying because the bible says It's interesting because it seems as though the deceiver knows God's word. But to jump, for Jesus to jump without the Father's command would have been a a presumption, not an act of faith. And and that would be, as Jesus said, an attempt to uh, tempt the Father. We're not supposed to use scripture the way Satan does. Actually, I kind of wish that Satan would have quoted to Jesus Psalm 91, our psalm today, verse 13. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Isn't Satan considered like a lion looking to devour? And isn't he considered like a serpent? There's probably a reason why Satan didn't quote that to Jesus. See, the lion and the serpent have both been images used of Satan. And our Lord gives us victory over the enemy. If God is for us, then who can be against us? So why can we have courage and not fear in the face of world events, trials, sufferings, and even Satan prowling and tempting? Because we trust in the name of the Lord. His character is our source of courage. His character is our source of comfort and our source of courage. Hmm. Look at the next section, and I'll read it for us. Verse 14, Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now in this section, it's the Lord that's speaking. He's the one that's speaking. He's showing us his promises to the expressions of trust in him by his worshipers expressed in the first 13 verses. And what we see here really is that initially we see that God's character is our source of comfort. The next section we see that God's character is the source really of our um, of our courage. And lastly, right here in this section, now that it's God speaking, he's saying it's his character that's the source of our contentment. We see seven actions of God to those who love him, if you will. It says here in the text that I will rescue, I will protect, I will answer, I will be with him in trouble, I will deliver, I will honor, I will satisfy, I will show. Verse 14 emphasizes the essential prerequisite, though, for participating in God's comprehensive plan for protection, an active, personal, close relationship with the Lord. That's the prerequisite. Thus the phrase is, because he loves me, in one verse, and the next verse, because he knows my name. Consider that first phrase, because he loves me. The word translated love is actually not the usual word that we find in scripture, but one that means to cling to, to cleave, intense and passionate. Maybe like what we see, like we're supposed to see like a husband toward a wife. The more you get to know the Father though, the more you get to know God, the more you'll actually get to love him, the more you'll love him. So there's promises linked to the phrase, because he loves me. And then the next phrase, because he knows my name. The verb knows expresses a close personal relationship. And that's what's so painful sometimes in Christendom is there's many people that proclaim Christ, proclaim being a Christian, but don't actually have a, 
a relationship with God at all. They don't really engage him. See, a loving relationship with God requires ongoing communication. And that's the idea of verse 15. It's like prayer. Prayer is practicing the presence of God. But how many of us like want something from God but don't actually want him? So that means we want more like a genie than we do a loving heavenly father. So verse 15 states with the phrase, when he calls my name. That's the suggestion there is that the relationship is what it is because there's a relationship. There's communication. See, prayer is one way we can experience the Lord's profound commitment to doing good. So the Lord promises whenever he calls, I will answer. So among God's blessings in this life will be answered prayer, companionship in times of trouble. Sometimes prayer with God is just companionship with him. Sharing. Being still before him and knowing that he's with you. And you'll find that satisfaction or that contentment. Let me read verse 16 again. Uh, Psalm 91 verse 16 With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now this is contentment language. The promise of long life was linked in the Old Testament to following God's law. Warren Wiersbe, uh, who I think recently passed away, but theologian, author, speaker, teacher, said, It's one thing for doctors to add years to our life, but God adds life to our years and makes that life worthwhile. See, whoever has Christ, the scripture says, has life, present tense, not just heaven someday only, but life now, abundant life. So what does a life that is satisfied or contented in God look like? I mean, how do you conjure up contentment? And the answer to that question, dear ones, is you don't. God does it in you as you hide, abide, dwell, take refuge, trust, and obey him. He brings the contentment. And it is a true principle. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So let's be honest about the difficulty about this psalm. Maybe you caught it in those last verses that I read. How can Psalm 91 promise all this if in reality we see the opposite? I mean, has anyone who has trusted in God ever been snared or caught disease, fell in battle, experienced evil, lost people to a plague, crashed against a stone, and failed to be delivered from the hands of evil people? Yes, they have. Christ himself experienced harm, and so have his followers since his resurrection. Even in our days, we know that faithful followers of the Lord have lost their lives in brutal ways for their faith. Yet some use scriptures like these to accuse others who are facing harm by saying the reason why bad things are happening is because you aren't trusting in him. Well, I mean, that can be true, I guess. Sometimes that can be true. I mean, we run into trouble, or trouble comes upon us all the time because of our own sin, but... It's not always true. Remember that one time in scripture where um, Jesus and his followers came upon a man that was born blind and his followers said, his disciples said, why was this guy born blind? Was it his parents that sinned or did he sin? Now when you think about that, you have to ask those guys, you mean did this guy sin in utero? And then Jesus says, well, it's neither of that. It's actually this guy was born blind for the glory of God. I'm going to do something really awesome. So we shouldn't use Psalm 91 against those that are experiencing trouble for sure. Because mankind is born into trouble, as the book of Job says, and Christ actually promises his own disciples, in this life, you will have trouble. So what do we do with this psalm, with these promises? Well, I think we can trust in the character of God, that when trouble comes upon us, that there's redemption in it. We see this all the way back toward the beginning of Scripture, the first books of the Bible. We see Joseph sold into slavery, and you may have heard this phrase before, when Joseph tells his brothers toward the end of the story there with them, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 34 tells us that some Christians 
by faith, escaped the sword. And then three verses later, it says, And by faith, others were killed by the sword. One passage in Hebrews says, And some were sawn in two. So in escape or in death, their testimony of faith encourages others. Jesus said to his disciples, Some of you, um, uh, some of you they will put to death. That's Luke chapter 21. Then a few verses later, though, we read that he says, But not a hair in your head will perish. So which is it? God saves from danger and in danger. He does rescue. However, God also permits his children to experience trouble, even death, while in his tender care. He can comfort them even in death, but he forbids that the suffering take his children unto eternal destruction. Nothing can take away our relationship with him. That's why we're safe in him. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. So the security that Psalm 91 promises is to be accepted in humble trust. See, a prayer to the Father would be something like this in light of these truths. And maybe this is what you need to hear today. I trust you, Father, that your love will protect me as I trust in you. Whatever comes my way, you are with me. You will never leave me nor forsake me. No matter the circumstances, you are the safest place. You are the secret place. And you are my source of comfort, courage, and contentedness.